ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. It's National Marriage Day, Tony. Do you remember your wedding day? Tony Kornheiser, you betcha. Lindbergh had just landed in Paris. Lucky Lindy. Yeah, great. Big time. Yeah, you were at least 20 years from being born. You know, men don't care about wedding days. You know, I remember, I mean, what do we care? It's for the bride. It's not for us. I don't know that I want to be in that we. I'm not sure that that's a statement that's going to help you. <laughs> you just, just don't want sure. to say it out loud like I was stupid uh, enough to do. Yeah, welcome to PTI, boys and girls. In today's episode, the Florida Panthers are back in it. The Big Ten football schedule gets a new look, and Tim Legler joins us to preview tonight's game for the NBA Finals. But we begin today with a disappointing turn of events in the Djokovic-Alcaraz match at the French Open. With the sets even at one and the third set even at 1-1, Alcaraz cramped up. He got treatment, but he was never the same. He lost the third set 6-1. He then lost the fourth set 6-1. It was no contest. Well, Van Djokovic now stands on the doorstep of history with a chance for his 23rd major, which would be the most of any male player ever. But this felt rather anticlimactic, didn't it? Yes, Tony. Yes. I mean, one set a piece, it looked promising. It looked like you and I, what you and I have been hoping for all week long. And then he cramps, yes. and then he starts to lose every game. And I turn to federal indictment news and discussion. And I didn't even <laughs> go back for long. You know, it was just there was no point to it. And I was, yes, disappointing. I mean, it just kind of ticked me off because that match is what you look forward to. And the other match I looked forward to was Coco Golf and Sviantec, and that was a, a runaway, you know, when Coco yeah. Golf got, got crushed in that. So the two matches I cared most about in the French Open this year were nothing much. And, Tony, look, now I know you are not a Djokovic guy. I call him your boy just to annoy you. But, Tony, Joker is ahead of Federer and Nadal. We have to deal with this. We have to deal with this. You know, Tiger yeah, so never let, let, passed let say Nicholas. You know, Phil, never, those guys never passed Jack. But yeah. he has passed the two peers by which his career is defined, and we got we to gotta accept it on some level. Well, I think 23 will, he'll, if he gets 23, he passes, right? And then if he gets another one, say, at Wimbledon, then it's all his, and there's distance between him and Nadal. Distance, I, I yes. felt we got cheated today, Mike. I felt we got yeah. robbed. Um, I, the first two sets I watched, and, and I liked them very much, and then after that, there was nothing left. And there was a, there was a point in the first set where... Alcaraz, the, the ball's behind him. He runs back to get it. He scoops it over the net, and Djokovic applauds him. And we got robbed of stuff like that. I thought, yeah. as you know, that Djokovic would win. I told you that yesterday. But I didn't think he'd win like this. You know, I'm a little bit surprised that the 20-year-old cramps up and the 37-year-old or 36-year-old does not cramp up. But Djokovic has been physically fit for a long time. When I was watching in the first set, Mike, in the first set, I wondered if Alcaraz was a little bit awed by being out there with Djokovic. They've only played once. It, it, Alcaraz won, but it was not a major. When you get out in the bright light like that, 
it's a little bit harder. It didn't matter to me that Alcaraz is going to be greater, that he's number one, because the other guy might be number one all time. And it I watched be. it from, from that perspective. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought to myself, because, Mike, it's so hard to beat a great player in a major for the first time. The second time's easier yeah. once you've done it. Yeah. But that's what I was looking for. That sort of harkens to me McEnroe, who couldn't beat Borg the first time, but I think he beat him the second time they played in a major. I, I, Tony, I hear you, but we were robbed. We were. I don't know what, we what do you decide. Yes. What can you decide no. based on this? Nothing. Yeah. We got to yeah. wait. We got to wait now for Wimbledon and the U.S. Open to maybe decide something. The Vegas Golden Knights moving to the Stanley Cup final seemed well on their way to going up three games to none in the Stanley Cup final. When it all fell apart, Matthew Kachuk tied the game for the Panthers with two minutes and 13 seconds left in regulation, and Florida won it in OT. Game four, back here in South Florida tomorrow night. Tone, your reaction to what the Panthers did and how they did it? Well, they, they saved themselves in the series, at, at least for one game. You know, they, there's... They're in it right now. You can never count the series done until the home team loses. And Florida won at home. And they got contributions from their most important guys, the goalie, who had been pulled in game two. You know, he comes back out there, and he gets 25 saves, and everybody says it's a very, very solid performance. And their best offensive player, Kachuk, who'd spent the first game being tossed and the second game 10 minutes in the penalty box... And he gets the tying goal with a little over two minutes to and go. The and he's game, on he the almost ice, got Mike. knocked out. He almost got right. knocked he's... out early last night. So he's on the ice in the overtime goal. So, you know, yeah. Florida's still alive, kids. And if you look forward, Mike, to what might happen if they go back to Las Vegas at 2 2 or something like that, you say, well, how can they beat Vegas? They were outscored 12 to 4 in Vegas. Mathematically, everybody. If you're an eight seed like them, you had to win on the road to get to this point. They beat Boston twice on the road. They beat Toronto three times on the road. They beat Carolina twice on the road. So if they get to four even, it's a series. Yeah, yeah. They, they, Tony, they could be down 3-1 and it's a series. And that's what you learn about them. I thought the Golden Knights gave one away. And their reaction was, I was very curious about it. I, I stayed with it and watched all the post-game chatter and it was interesting. Their approach from the head coach on down was, you know, we played pretty well. We're pretty good. We lost. Nothing to get that upset about. We know we're going to clean this up before game four, and we'll be fine. And I, I just thought, wow, they should be upset because they, I thought, as great as Kachuk was, as clutch as he was in those moments. And by the way, Tony, he provided the screen for the goal he didn't score or get an assist on officially in overtime. The game winner. Yeah, he's he provided out there. the screen. He's, out there. he's yeah. camped out yeah. in front of the goaltender, and they don't yep. move him. So once again, you know, I mean, the, the, the Knights sort of let themselves down. I thought they had multiple opportunities, including a crossbar, where they could have, and I would say should have won that game and, and gone up three nothing. And by the way, if you let Florida live, they will kill you. They will. We've this seen is, it. This is that's the way it works. The Big Ten. Yeah. Your conference has announced its yep. football scheduling plan for when USC and UCLA join in 2024. They're calling it, and I'm quoting here, Flex Protect Plus, Stop. which sounds like either a new razor Stop. or a car lubricant. Anyway, there will be 11 protected rivalry games that will be played every year, such as Ohio State-Michigan, USC-UCLA, and the real big one, Maryland-Rutgers. 
Wilbon, your conference, do you approve of the yeah. Big Ten's plan? I couldn't care less than I do when I, when I heard this last night. And it's just, so what? So what? Play the games. You know, everybody hypes. This is what happens when the NFL now has a night to announce a schedule we've all known for six months and just announce the dates and a couple of networks lose their minds. This is what happens. Everybody hypes their own stuff and people pay way too much attention to it. This is my conference. I am an alum. I love my conference. I'm a season ticket holder. I pay the freight every year for about a decade now at least. I don't care. I don't care. I know Iowa likes to play Minnesota, and people get excited about that, and Nebraska. And, you know, there's probably some other game in there, too, that I'm not even as aware of. But, Tony, Minnesota. everybody's got a rival. So play them when you can. You don't have to have it every year. I don't have to see Illinois every year. It's fine. Just stop hyping it. Play the damn games and Do you stop know what hyping. I like? Uh, let me tell you what I like about what the Big Ten is doing, and I like it a lot, and I think it's really good. They're not going to have divisions. They're not going to have divisions yeah. because the Eastern Division was blasting the Western Division yeah. time after time. Yeah. Nine years in a row, the Eastern Conference team won by an yeah. average of 20 points. And so this is a good thing because now the number one and number two teams will play in the Big Ten Championship. So what you could get is the last week of the season, Ohio State-Michigan, the championship game, Ohio State-Michigan, and then the expanded college football playoffs, Ohio State-Michigan. No, you know. I, I, I don't think these geographic designations work. And I like the idea of the fluidity of, of one conference. I do. I think that's good. Tony, it's, it's, it's fine to make it a big deal is completely just like, again, hype to the extreme. Well, Mike, and you know what, Tony? Mike, we got, Look, I love got these games. In the I block. attend these games. But you don't have to, other than Michigan, Ohio State, and maybe Michigan, Michigan State, and yes, you said UCLA, USC, which is not even ours yet. And Maryland. Other than that, just play the games. Yeah. Just, just play the yeah. schedule the games, play the games. You're Stop with the hype. You're, you're being a scold. Let's yes, take a break. Coming up, what does Miami need to do tonight to even things up with the Nuggets? We're going to ask Tim Legler. We'll also ask him what he sees when he watches Michigan, Ohio State. Oh, no. When he watches Joker, of course. I had no idea that Iowa was so intrinsic to the Big Ten that they had three rivalry games. Penn State has no rivalry games. Right? Because they don't have Iowa. Part in the interruption is presented by Corona. Please drink responsibly. Part of Happy Hour. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. 
Welcome back to Pardon the Interruption, presented by Corona, part of Happy Hour. Game four of the NBA Finals is tonight in Miami, which makes it a perfect time to bring in our great friend ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler, of whom we just learned off air that his dog once locked him out of a car, which is pretty <laughs> funny. We can talk about that later. Let's go to this from Miami, Tim. Yeah. Is it actually just as simple as the Heat need to hit threes? Is it just that simple? No, it's not. It's not. Because for me, that's just so overly simplistic. And that gets into that make or miss league stuff that I hate. I hate that expression so much because it implies that all quality, the quality of all shots are the same every night, that the talent's the same across the board, that the coaching's the same across the board. And then, hey, some nights it goes in, some nights it doesn't. It's not like that. Denver has a lot to do with why Miami did not shoot as well in game three. And game one and two, they were porous defensively on the perimeter. And I looked at game two particularly. Nine of the 17 threes that Miami hit in that game were directly attributable to mistakes that Denver made in basic coverages. So you have to clean that up. Game one, similar looks. Miami didn't make as many. Game three, Denver cleaned a lot of that up. They did not make those mistakes on their switches. They uh, also finished possessions much better by sprinting to guys and getting in the air and getting vertical and contesting shots uh, at the end of the possession better than they did in either of the two games in Denver. So Denver's defense had a lot to do with why Miami shot more poorly. And look, there's other things that Miami's going to have to do. They got to defend better in terms of keeping the ball out of the paint. They got to be better on the glass. They've got to get some role players, I think, to have more of an impact in other ways if they're not making shots. So there's a lot of factors here. But just to say, hey, Miami didn't shoot well, so they lost, I think that's an overly simplistic way of looking at it. Well, Tim, Tony can be obsessed with threes if he wants. I'm going to go a little bit more old school and primitive and ask you about Denver's domination of Miami in the paint, as you just hinted at. And just ask you, I mean, we know that Denver is bigger, stronger, longer. What is Miami supposed to do about getting beat in the paint so badly? What do they do tonight? Well, Michael, I think when you look at the number of ways that you can attack a team in the paint, there are some things that they can do a better job of, some things they're kind of helpless on. Like, For instance, Jokic, there's only so much you're going to do with him when he gets his back to the basket and somebody on him because he's too patient, he's too strong. He's too smart, and he's too skilled. He's going to get something great for himself if he gets it down there. The switches that they have on Aaron Gordon, and he bullies guys like Gabe Vincent or Duncan Robinson or Max Struess down there. There's only so much you can do about that as well because you're going to have to switch certain things. But the one area that they were absolutely gutted in Game 3 that they can improve is ball screen defense with Murray. I just didn't understand their coverages a lot. They were dropping the defender off that was guarding the screener to such an extent that Jamal Murray was coming off with all kinds of space and getting into those gaps and seams. They didn't do a very good job when he had an isolation situation. He was able to cross guys up, get past them into the paint, get to the rim. So some things are just about size and skill, and there's not a lot you can do. The ball screen defense is the number one thing I'm looking at for Miami in game four to try to clean up and at least limit Jamal Murray's effectiveness coming off of all those screens from Jokic. And if they don't do a better job there, you're going to see a similar result. All right, speaking of size and skill, let's zero in on the Joker for a second. Tim, you played in the league. You played against a lot of talented bigs. Some are in the Hall of Fame. 
when you see Joker, you see what? I see the most versatile offensive big man in the history of this league, and that's not wow. hyperbole for me. And I'm going to leave the defensive end of the floor out of it because when you start talking historical perspective and ranking bigs, that's got to factor in. So let's just talk about the offensive end of the floor. And game three was a perfect microcosm. I tweeted after the game, rarely will you watch a game in which any player will do as many things offensively that he did in that game. If you think about it, back to the basket, post-ups, short, mid-range, face-up, one-on-one, post-ups. He had a catch-and-shoot three. He had a ball fake at the three, which led to a dribble drive for an alley-oop dunk. He had a ball fake at the three that led to a finger roll for himself. He had a down screen that was a designed play to get a catch-and-shoot elbow jumper that's normally reserved for two guards and elite-level wings. He led the break and found people off the dribble in transition. You're just not going to find bigs historically that do all of those things in one game. And, and then, real quick, numbers, I, you know, I, I don't get too caught up in them, but just I think Akeem Olajuwon, we all can agree, is one of the more versatile offensive bigs we've ever seen in this league. Uh, he played 145 playoff games in his career. Nikola Jokic has played 66. Nikola Jokic has more assists than Akeem Olajuwon did in 145 postseason games in his career. Nikola Jokic has made more threes in this series than Olajuwon did in his playoff career in 145 games. Hakeem Olajuwon was a 71% foul shooter in the postseason. Jokic is 83%, so you can't foul him either. When you add it all up, you're looking at the, a guy that can beat you in more ways on that end of the floor than any big we have seen. That's amazing. I didn't know any of that stuff. All right, we get you out of here on this, and you got to be quick. You've only got 10 seconds for right. an answer. Which way are you leaning tonight? Which way? I'm leaning toward Denver. I think they understand the importance. If they lose this game, you're looking probably at a seven-game series where anything could happen. I like Denver. Jokic just can't be limited. He's too good. He will find a way to be the best player on the floor, even if he doesn't shoot well. Thank you, Tim. It's great. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Thanks, Appreciate it. You got it. Let's take one last break. Still to come, the Mets drop all three to the Braves. How concerned should they be? There we and go. we're running out of superlatives for Oklahoma softball. We really are. It's like talking about Jokic. I mean, you could just so praise him, praise him, praise him. Look at all that stuff Tim said. Yeah. The best offensive big ever? Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. Pardon the Interruption is presented by Corona. Please drink responsibly. Part of Happy Hour. Happy time, people. Happy 41st birthday on Sunday, Diana Taurasi. The oldest active player in the WNBA is averaging 18.4 points per game so far this season for Phoenix. You can make a case that Taurasi is the greatest women's basketball player of all time. She's the WNBA's all-time leading scorer. She's fifth all-time in assists. She has three WNBA titles. Twice she was the finals MVP. Once she was the league MVP. She was the league's first overall draft pick in 2004, then Rookie of the Year, a 10-time All-Star. Tarasi won three NCAA championships at Connecticut, and she has five Olympic gold medals. Seriously, 
She needs a tractor trailer for all of her awards. She's also smart and funny and charismatic. And now, like on golf courses in Arizona, Tony, she and Sue Bird did one of those alternative broadcasts. It was brilliant. And Tarasi cannot good. retire and go away to private life. She has people have to make sure she is front and center in the public because she's compelling. She really is. Happy anniversary, Montreal Canadiens. On this day 30 years ago, the Canadiens held the great one without a shot on goal for the LA Kings. And Montreal took the Stanley Cup final in five games to become the last Canadian franchise to win the Cup. Man. Many have gotten to the final since, none has won. Vancouver in 1994, Calgary 2004, Edmonton 2006, Ottawa 2007, Vancouver again in 2011, most recently Montreal in 2021. Rubbing salt in the wound, the former Quebec Nordique franchise moved Nordique. to Colorado and won the cup their first year in the United States, 1996 as well as last year. I know this year I was rooting for Edmonton and Toronto. I was too. The previous longest drought between Canadian Stanley Cup champs was a six-season run from 1936 to 1941. That included even the 30. Rangers back then this winning, I guess, 1940. This is 30. Happy trails, Florida State. Oklahoma beat the Seminoles 3-1 last night to sweep the best of three softball championship series. The Sooners got back-to-back -back solo homers in the fifth, ran their consecutive winning streak to 53 straight games. This is Oklahoma's third straight NCAA championship, and that 53-game streak includes 24 wins over ranked opponents, 12 wins by 10 or more, and 29 shutouts. Jordy Ball, who pitched a two-hit shutout in game one and came into the game last night in relief and pitched three scoreless innings to end it, she was named most outstanding player. Oklahoma led the country this year in fielding percentage, batting average, home runs, and ERA. What else is there? Only the second team ever to three-peat. UCLA did it at the end of the 1980s. Also, Jada Coleman's catch was straight out of Ken Griffey Jr. That should not be forgotten. Big finish, here we go. Jose Ramirez of the Guardians homing three times against the Red Sox last night. Are you impressed? That's the way to snap an 0-for-16 stretch, Tony. And yes, three homers always impressive. Switch hitting, by the way. The Braves swept the Mets despite trailing by three or more runs in all three games. Your thoughts? The Braves are really good. The Mets need more than money, and Alonzo just went on the injured list. Your Don Alvarez of the Astros on the injured list with a right oblique yeah. injury. Is that cause for concern? Yes, just like Alonzo. 17 home runs and an American League leading 55 runs that in. Yes, concerning the Astros are trailing Texas in the division. Belmont Stakes tomorrow. Who you got, Mr. Horsey? All right, Andy Byers got Angel of Empire. My friend Eddie has National Treasure. Last one, Champions League final tomorrow. Manchester City versus Inter Milan in Istanbul. Who you Ooh. got, Mr. Soccer? Istanbul, the most famous, I'm sorry, the most fascinating city I've ever been to. I got to have Manchester City tone. They, they're just winning everything this year. They're going to sweep the board. We're out of time. We will try and do better the next time. Happy birthday, Carol. Oh, happy birthday, Carol. I'm Mike Wilbon. Have a great yep. weekend, knuckleheads. Catch an NBA countdown doubleheader tonight, 7.30 on ESPN, 8 on ABC. And now, here's SportsCenter. I got her a tomato plant.